You're listening to the My Sister's Cancer podcast. I'm Kayla Crum, registered nurse and writer. And I'm Ella Beckett, social worker and cancer survivor. We're sisters on a mission to care for the cancer community through the sharing of real life stories, a sprinkle of sass, and lots of support. Join us in a new kind of pity party. It's a pity so many of us carry the heavy burden of cancer alone. So let's make it a party and carry it together. Hello and welcome back to the My Sister's Cancer podcast. You are listening to the first episode of what we're going to call season three, which is our winter season. Uh, we've been moving through the the literal seasons with metaphor. So we started in summer talking about cancer diagnosis and all that entails. We moved through autumn and that would be the treatment phase, sort of the acute phase of cancer treatment, chemo, radiation, things like that. And now that we're in winter, we thought that was a fitting time to talk about isolation. So some people who have cancer might experience true isolation after a transplant of some sort. By true isolation, I mean quite serious and limiting medical rules around who you can see and not see. And some people might just feel isolated during their cancer experience, uh, socially, emotionally, and or physically during that time. So that's where we're going here. Before we jump into our first episode of this winter season, I did just want to invite you to reach out to us. Um, We would love to end the winter season in a couple months with a guest episode. A couple of you have reached out uh, being willing to be on the show, which we so appreciate because we would love to have other voices. And if, if you think you would like to share your story or discuss some element of the cancer experience, please reach out to us on Instagram or at our email, uh, hello at mysisterscancer.co. So we'll put that link in the show notes and you can always find that on our website as well. So Ella, I thought that you could just start us off telling a little bit about your experience of isolation, and then we can kind of go from there. Sure. I really like that you distinguished between different types of isolation, how you were saying there's like the social and emotional isolation, and then the actual physical isolation. Because I think in my two different experiences with cancer, these played a little bit of a different role. Um, So for example, the first time that I had cancer and I had to move back home and kind of take a pause on college, I definitely think I was more socially and emotionally isolated from people. I just felt so out of it, out of touch, Um, but I was still able to do a lot of things physically with people, right? I was able to go to campus and be around people when I was feeling healthy and when my counts were good. Um, And I was still able to do some of those fun, quote, normal social things again when I was able to and in a good spot to do that. The second time around, it was much more of an extreme physical isolation. So I think as we've mentioned before, Um, After I had my stem cell transplant in December of 2017, I was inpatient for about a month, I think, and then stayed in a nearby hospitality house um, that the hospital 
graciously lets people stay for a while. Um, and then when I moved home, I was on in-home isolation for a hundred days. And so that was an extreme physical isolation as well as social and emotional, because obviously when you're not able to see other human beings, then you feel socially isolated and emotionally isolated. So I guess I just wanted to first distinguish like my second experience with cancer was a lot more extreme in terms of isolation, but I still experienced it to some degree the first time around. Wow, I forgot 100 days until you just said that. That is a long time. <laughs> yeah. So you got home early January, I think. And then it was like, mm -hmm. what would that have been? Almost, that's more than three months. So it was like close to Easter when you were finally free. Like it was like end of March. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Because it was like 100 days since you engrafted or whatever meaning on the transplant took yeah so some of those 100 days I think were spent then in the hospital and in the other place that I stayed for those few weeks but yeah I think it was like end of March sometimes it like comes up on my memories yeah. of like when I broke free and I remember another thing that people might not know it's not just okay, you have to stay home and not go anywhere. Like, yes, that's true. I did go to like medical appointments and things though. I mean, I was masked and all that good stuff, but like I did go to appointments and then come straight home. So I guess that's a little bit confusing. Like there's some nuance there, right? Like in home isolation, you think, oh my gosh, you don't go a single place. Like I was still having these doctor's appointments and things, which is, is an interesting thing that people might not no. And I remember too, because it was like the dead of winter, occasionally as time wore on, you and mom would drive down to the beach. We live by Lake mm -hmm. Michigan and it's all like frozen over with icebergs and stuff and nobody's there. Or you can stay a mile away from the closest person. And so one thing you were allowed to do once you were at home was be in nature or like outdoors as long as you weren't by any like live plants which wasn't a problem in Michigan in the winter or by other people whereas you could not have really gone anywhere if it was summertime outdoors yeah so that's another thing people might not realize is that technically like you can go outside and breathe the outside air once you're at home after a transplant but mm -hmm. there's still a lot of rules around it well, and with you saying that about the live plants, that makes me think of, um, we had, I mean, a thick binder with a list of like rules and restrictions that we had to follow. Like I was on a specific diet. There was a lot of fresh foods that I couldn't eat because they could potentially be growing like bacteria and different germs and that, right? Like a lot of berries or other fresh fruits that like a list of things that I just like could not have. And then like you were saying, like we couldn't have any live plants in our home or like I couldn't be around like dirt or there was just like a, a very long list of kind of random things that you had to follow. And even like our house had to be prepared for me to come home from the hospital, right? Like our parents' home had a room with some pretty old carpet in it as most parents homes do and 
our parents were kind of on the fence of like, okay, do we get brand new carpet or do we just like rip it out? And thankfully they had these beautiful wood floors underneath. But then they literally, I remember like some family members came over and like helped dad refinish the floors while I was in the hospital because obviously like harder floors can be cleaned a little bit more easily too than carpet, but just so many things that had to happen. Yeah, I remember mom's sisters came over and helped clean and they literally like washed the walls. Mm -hmm. Like they were supposed to literally clean like every surface of the home and top to bottom. Like they couldn't hand wash any dishes. So even our like nicer knives that always had been hand washed started to go in the dishwasher because like that level of heat Mm -hmm. and like you can run like a sterilization cycle, like all these crazy little things you don't think about. And where did mom send all her plants? Because she has quite the collection of house plants. I don't remember that. I have no memory of that. I don't know. <laughs> She's got plants now. I don't know what happened there. We'll have to ask her to remind us about that. Like, did she farm them out to her sisters? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Good thing you didn't have a pet, too. I know. I know. Another thing that I was just thinking about, too, was like going along with the food piece. Like, I couldn't have takeout from anywhere if I'm remembering correctly yeah for like a long time I remember that and even I mean it's a little foggy to me like if I could eat food that was even cooked in other people's homes I don't think so I mean it was pretty like not during that time yeah so then like the people bringing meals that had to stop because of like the germ possibility it was quite severe and I was a nurse on an adult bone marrow transplant floor and they actually are not quite as strict at least at the hospital where I practiced it's funny because we were in the same hospital system I was on the adult side and you were on the pediatric side and the adult side was just like less rigorous with those types of um, restrictions I mean I'm sure it's evidence-based to an extent um, but part of it might just be kind of the school of thought in the two different areas of medicine I, I yeah. always tell people medicine is just like these really smart people's best guesses. Like I always used to think there was a right answer for every medical problem before I went to nursing school. Mm-hmm. And then I realized like, wow, this is just people who've studied like all this emerging literature and they're making their best educated guess and like constantly doing risk versus benefit ratios. Like there's not a green light, red light situation for most illnesses. <laughs> Which I kind of wish there was, right? Like, Mm -hmm. I wish that it was, like, a math problem to solve, right? And, like, do this and this will happen. Like, that's just not the case. We got strep throat a lot as kids because you had terrible tonsils and would get strep throat. And then you'd (laughs) give it to me. And then once you got your tonsils out, I never had it again. But all that to say, I remember, like, they would culture us. You know, they'd stick that thing way back in your throat and choke you and get a sample. And... Mm -hmm. Mom kind of explained, like, maybe the quick result in the office came back negative, but they would culture it for a couple of days, let the bacteria grow, and then sometimes it would turn positive. Mm. So I don't know. That was just my understanding of how medicine worked as a kid. Like, it'll turn into yes or no, like green or red light. And it's just like so many of these protocols, especially around complicated diseases like cancers, are not like that. Do you want to talk a little bit about like your visitor list and how that worked? Do you have good memories of that? Or not not positive memories, but like a clear memory of that situation? Yeah, I'm trying to bring back if 
it was the same protocols when I was inpatient in the hospital. And then when I went home, I can't remember if that just like carried over. I think maybe, or maybe it was a little bit more inclusive. Anyway, I think we mentioned this in a previous episode, but I had a list of, I believe it was five people that were able to come visit me when I was inpatient for that long stint of time. So I don't think that included mom because she was staying with me. Again, the details are foggy. And then when I moved home, I want to say that I there were a few more people that we added or something or again, I don't know. But basically, I really couldn't have visitors even once I was home for that 100 days. I do remember my grandparents. I don't remember if they were on the original list, like for when I was inpatient, but they were definitely able to see me once I was home. So I can't really bring back the distinction of that. But I mean, it's really hard to limit your social interaction in person to a list of five people. I mean, I think that just is a hard thing to deal with. Uh, Yeah. On top of everything else. (laughs) It's funny because sometimes I joke like, how many people do you actually like, right? Like if you're feeling kind of negative, you can be like, how does somebody have 10 bridesmaids? I don't even like that many people. I only like five people, yeah. Right? But when you really start to think about it, like variety is the spice of life. And, you know, we have different friend groups in different areas of our life and different people and friends and family kind of fill different needs for us. And so yeah, that sounds really difficult to narrow it down. I mean, I think you had like dad and mom and me and my husband Mm -hmm. And then maybe, yeah, maybe our grandparents and that might have been it. I think that was it. For your hospital time. And then I remember Mm -hmm. later on, I don't know if this was in the 100 days or afterward, some of your college friends would come visit, but you literally had to be like, okay, did you get your flu shot? Like, did you, Mm -hmm. have you been ill in the last, it's kind of like those questions everyone started asking in COVID several years later. Yeah. Have you felt ill in the last 14 days? Like, that's kind of what you had to do to get your friends to come visit you. Yeah. You know, when you say that, I want to say that they celebrated my birthday, but that fell within the 100 days. Hmm. I can't bring all that back. I feel like that did happen, though. So maybe it was some sort of like everyone had to have a shot and everyone had to be healthy. And then maybe they were even distanced. Like, I don't remember. It gradually got like less Mm-hmm. restrictive I think as time went on we also could have celebrated late I don't know true friends if you're listening let me know <laughs> if you remember <laughs> uh, uh, yeah I do just speaking of friends I'm sure some people listening are like okay if someone I know has a transplant or goes through some other type of medical isolation mm-hmm. what am I supposed to do like you can only text somebody so many times mm-hmm. so do you have memories of what was encouraging what was discouraging basically like advice both for someone going through it and for someone who's trying to support somebody and like maybe didn't make the list that is a really great question I feel like it's so hard to know how best to support someone. I mean, even I experienced it and I still feel like I struggle being like, this was super helpful or like this wasn't the best way to go about it. And like we've said so many times, I think it's different for every person. And I think it's really important to take the lead from the person who's going through that situation. 
I mean, I would even suggest a text or a message of some kind just like saying like, hey, this is super hard. Like, I don't know how to support you through this time. Like, what would be most helpful to you, right? Like, for me, I think it was the friends that did consistently text. I mean, I know a text message like might not seem like a lot, but that's a huge deal, especially when you're isolated and you can't be around other people. Like even just a text with like, hey, this made me think of you or like, hey, haha, here's this funny thing, right? Like you want some of that normalcy and that social banter still in your life. So I feel like that was super great. I had some friends that would like mail me things like little handwritten cards or notes. I mean, those are just wonderful. I don't know. I think just trying to think creatively of ways to like stay in touch from afar. Yeah. People can't send food and they can't come see you. So (laughs) I forgot that about the notes. So you could have mail from the outside world, at least once you got home. I was going to say, I don't know about at the hospital, but definitely I think, honestly, maybe this could be a false memory, but I feel like we even maybe had to like wipe down our mail or like mom had to open it for me or, so, you know, something like that, where it was like she was kind of like that barrier between mm. the outside world and me. I don't mm. know. What about your own coping? Because I love those suggestions for friends. Mm-hmm. I know like a weekly Zoom call. Nowadays, we're all much more familiar with Zoom or virtual meetups. And so it's like, I don't feel like that was a huge part of your experience. But if it happened now, perhaps that would have been a bigger part. Mm -hmm. People are just more apt to like FaceTime Zoom now. We're just a lot more used to that in culture, I think, Mm post-COVID. But how did you cope? I mean, I know that's like a loaded question, but on days when nobody reached out or you were like, this is my, you know, 87th day with my mom in this house, like, and I'm 19 years old, almost 20, like, Mm -hmm. what? I don't know, the good, the bad, the ugly, like, do you have any advice for someone who might be the person actually going through it? I will say, and I think this served me really well throughout this time, A, I'm a very independent person by nature. I genuinely enjoy being alone by myself. (laughs) And I really think that that if I was not that way, this would have been even harder for me. Like this was really a difficult thing for me to go through. But I think if I was more honestly, Kayla, like you're if I I was more like you. And and I think that's not to say, of course, that I don't love being around people, that I don't sometimes recharge with people. But at the end of the day, like, I really value being alone and like it doesn't impact me in the way that I think it impacts other people. I will also say when you were saying like that about FaceTiming, it made me think like I know a lot of people in my life who are like, literally talking to their friends on the phone like almost every day or like texting nonstop with friends or FaceTiming, whatever. I'm just not really that kind of person. Like I try to stay in good touch with my friends, but not to that extent. So I think in some ways, like, again, I think that served me pretty well in this time because it was like I didn't feel the need to be constantly in touch with people because that's just not really how I've done friendships in my life. And I think, again, it would have just made it 
even harder if I was like so used to just like that constant stream of communication and then like kind of being cut off. But in terms of like coping with it, I don't really know that I like took steps to have healthy coping mechanisms like in the moment, right? Like I've said before, I think a lot of this time of my life is just a little bit foggy around the edges. Like I'm not entirely sure what I was doing to make sure that I was like taking care of my mental health. I did journal quite a bit, which I think that was really helpful. Even, you know, like if you're disappointed that you haven't heard from a certain friend or something like instead of just like stifling that or stewing on that, like I was able to get a lot of that out and just kind of write about other people. And thankfully, like, (laughs) and I'm so grateful for this, even after being home with them for such a long extended period of time more than once I've always had a very open relationship with mom and dad so I think I was able to process a lot of it with them and kind of in many ways get most of my social needs met (laughs) from them as well which is I guess a huge gift that I had that open honest fun supportive relationship with them because i know that's not the case for everyone and let's be real netflix is the real mvp oh yeah i watched a lot of tv what (laughs) what are your top show recommendations (laughs) what do you remember watching at that time like you know how sometimes you can be like oh i watched this show when i was like in this time of my life do you have a lot of those associations or was there just so much tv it's just like a brainwash (laughs) yeah honestly not really but i will say There's been multiple times where like you and I will talk about a show or something or like a show will come up and I'm like, oh, yeah, I've seen that. Oh, I've seen that. And you're like, what? Like, when did you watch all of this? And I'm like, when do you think I watched all of this? (laughs) Uh, I feel like some of the classics, like I think that's when I watched Friends and New Girl. Yeah, all the good ones. I feel like people are going to take issue with you putting Friends and New Girl in the same classic category, but (laughs) we'll let that one go I remember you and mom finished Bones, which is this like 10 season show. And I had been watching along and then like you guys got ahead of me and finished it. And I'm still mad about it. But that's okay. (laughs) (laughs) You kind of had a lot of time Um, to fill. Yeah. Yeah. I guess just before we sign off today, I wanted to broaden this a little bit because this is something that does apply to people outside of the cancer world. I worked as a pediatric allergy and immunology nurse, and so some kids who have autoimmune diseases or adults can have various points of life or long years of life where they basically have to live in a bubble. I mean, I think we've all heard about like Bubble Boy or whatever, which was like this thing in the 80s. There's like a Seinfeld episode about a Bubble Boy, but it's really no laughing matter. Like some people live what you were describing for years because we don't have adequate treatment for their autoimmune disease. Mm -hmm. Uh, One kiddo comes to mind where they had finally gotten some treatment and been cleared to start to integrate into normal life and then COVID hit. And I was just like so devastated for this family because Mm -hmm. they had spent like four plus years living how you just described as a family and then had to just go right back to being isolated. So this is definitely something that applies outside of cancer. I also think of 
social isolation for a lot of like elderly people. I think that Mm -hmm. it's so sad. Like loneliness is a killer, honestly. And there's even been a recent Surgeon General report about like the health detriments of loneliness. I was just going to say, I was just reading a recent study about this and about how loneliness is like as bad for you as like smoking several packs of cigarettes a day and there's just a lot of like upcoming research about this as we like make our way out of the pandemic which is just really crazy to think about Kayla I really appreciate the point that you made earlier about how some people live this way for longer periods of time or for their whole life and I think before we sign off I just want to hold space for that and for anyone who's currently on in-home isolation or just having to isolate for a variety of different reasons, having to say no to social gatherings, especially as the holidays come up, that can be really difficult to say no and to have to stay home and miss out on things. And so we see you. Um, You are not alone in this. And we hope that you're able to find comfort, enjoy this season, whatever that looks like for you. Uh, next week, we are going to be celebrating my transplant anniversary with a special transplant-themed episode. So until then, we hope that you have the best week available to you. 